0: It is so good to be here this morning. I, I feel like on Sundays like this where we didn't meet last week, it just feels like forever <laughs> to to, um, to go between services. Uh, several of us had the privilege of going on the men's retreat, and that was a blast, and special thanks to those of you who helped plan all of that. Uh, and then other uh, groups of you met in one another's home for morning prayer, uh, and I've heard good things about that as well. But it is good to be here together with all of you this morning. So... Uh, some of you may have had this kind of experience before, where it's Thanksgiving, uh, but you find yourself in another country, maybe on a on a mission trip, or you know some kind of celebration, or a business trip, or something like this. So perhaps you can identify uh, with an author uh, or a, a writer. His name's Arthur Brooks. Uh, he wrote this article a few years ago in the New York Times, and he talks about being in Spain with his in-laws over Thanksgiving, and he wanted to give them a taste. Uh, no pun maybe pun intended i don 't know. Give him a taste about what it 's like to celebrate this American holiday, but there were a lot of challenges to celebrating Thanksgiving in Spain that he didn 't necessarily expect for starters it 's really hard to find turkey. Uh, he had to special order turkey from France, and then finally, when it did come, it still had like half the feathers on it, uh, so that was kind of unusual, Uh, and then also the the home where he was staying, uh, the oven was way too small, and so they had to kind of be very creative in terms of how they actually cooked this thing, Uh, and and then everyone was suspicious of some of the other items that belonged in the meal, such as cranberries, you know, nobody really knew what to do with cranberries, and people started to ask questions, what kind of uh, food does this beast eat to where its belly would be full of bread like this? (laughs) You know, Or someone would be more philosophical. They would say, should you even celebrate this holiday if you don't feel grateful yourself? So, interesting questions. And so, Arthur, he began to wonder if, if maybe people weren't just questioning the ritual itself, but maybe this was a, a subtle protest against gratitude itself. You see, we all experience deprivations and depressions of some sort, And so gratitude is not necessarily very easy for us. In fact, gratitude, I would say, is super hard. (laughs) Maybe that's just me, I don't know. But I feel like gratitude is really hard. It's so much easier to grumble or to scoff at the events of life. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many people on their way to church this morning complained about the construction? Right? Like it's all over the place. You know, who knows what kind of maze you followed to get here. You know, I find myself, anytime I get on the road, like that's something that I'm going to complain about. The detours, the orange cones, the traffic. Can you imagine being on the team that actually is planning all of these improvements for our city? You know, sitting in the office, designing the roads to to improve the lives of every citizen of Minneapolis, strengthening their safety, increasing the road capacity, improving the efficiency, like really cool stuff. Meanwhile, there's half a million people who are complaining and cursing your work every single day. Like that's just our natural inclination. That's what we love to do. So why is it that gratitude is so difficult? Well, there's many reasons. I'm sure you can think of of one or two reasons yourself, but I think one reason why gratitude is difficult is that it, it requires humility. You see, when you thank someone, you are admitting to that person that what they provided to you is of some benefit to you. It truly helped you. And it could be something as little as providing a meal to you. Or maybe someone covered your mortgage payment for the month. I don't know. An arrogant person ignores the gift. But a humble person says, "Thank you. Your sacrifice is significant to me. I am now in a better place because of what you did so uh I, I love being around thankful people. like I-, I can't help but be improved when I'm around thankful people. One of my neighbors uh, stopped by my house this last week, and-, and I kid you not, like I was just in a sour mood, I don't know, and I'm like, oh man jeff it's it's getting darker out and he's like. I know, like, it's, it's so great for building fires. I'm like, oh, whatever. And I'm like, did you know it's going to snow this week? And he's like, don't you just love that smell in the air of the first snow? I'm like, Jeff, you're a jerk, man. Like, what are you trying to do here? You know, like, he was so grateful. He was so full of praise but his comments just changed the tone of the entire conversation. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm preaching on gratitude this week. <laughs> you know, thank you, Jeff. So my point is that gratitude changes us. Being grateful makes us happy. It points our gaze upward to our Father in Heaven who gives us every good gift, right? Well, today's passage, the story from Luke, is a story about someone who is really grateful. He's very grateful, He is the most grateful, right? So my prayer for us this morning is that we hear, as we hear the loud praise of this man who lived 2,000 years ago, that we ourselves would be changed, that we would be further propelled into the loving embrace and the beauty of our Father in heaven. So I want to walk us through this passage from Luke. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's walking the borderlands, He's walking between Galilee and Samaria. You see, Galilee, that's that's a part of Israel, although it's an extremely rural part. It's it's a Jewish area. And it's obviously considered clean by the Jews, as you could probably um, assume. But this is where Jesus spent the majority of his ministry, teaching and healing and and, um, eating with his friends and his disciples. But then there's Samaria. This is the land of the half-breeds, They were an unclean people. Their theology was compromised, and they were absolutely despised by the Jews. In fact, if the Jews could convince Congress to build a wall around Samaria, they totally would have done that. And this, this is where Jesus walks. Well, there's ten people with leprosy who come out to meet him. Now, you may have heard about leprosy before. Leprosy appears a lot in the Bible, uh, oftentimes we think of it as a skin disease, but it's, it's actually a disease that affects your nervous system. But what it would do is it would make you so that you would slowly lose feeling in your hands and, and your feet and other parts of your body. So you wouldn't realize it if you stubbed your toe on a table or a chair or something like that. Or if you leaned up a, a rough tree and it pricked you, you, you wouldn't necessarily feel that. And so as time goes on, your body would start to be covered by these these wounds and sores that were unattended to So it's it's easy for us to understand why someone with leprosy would uh, very quickly get these infections, and eventually they would die. This would come very quickly to them. And to make matters worse, it's highly contagious. Well, the Jewish law has some very specific instructions for people with leprosy. Numbers 5 says this, command the Israelites to put out of the camp everyone who is leprous, And then Leviticus 13 says, the leprous person must tear his clothing. He must leave his hair uncombed and long. He must cover his mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. And he will remain unclean for as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone, the law says. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Like, Do you hear how isolating that is? So not only do you have to suffer with the affliction, you have to suffer with that bodily pain, but as your body is falling apart, you're commanded to be visually distracting to people. You're commanded to look distressed. You can't live with your family. You can't even live within the safety of the city walls. You have to go outside. And even in the event that someone does come close to you, did you catch what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to yell out at the top of your lungs a word that society has placed on you, a word that no doubt has started to to soak into the depths of your being, a word that defines you to the bone. You are supposed to call out unclean, unclean to people who come close to you. And this is where Jesus walks. You see, these lepers, they see Jesus coming towards them. And for whatever reason, they don't cry out unclean. They take a risk, and they cry out for pleas of mercy. Jesus, Master, they say, look at us, pay attention to us, remove our pain, give us mercy, Lord Jesus, they say. So my first point, my first admonition to us, is to make your plea out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. When even the law is telling you to be quiet and to, and to keep things tucked away, cry out to Jesus. He is walking close to you, and he wants to hear your prayer. We already in our society are so tempted to live in ice, or we are isolated already, but we're so tempted to hide our pain from each other. We put on the happy face. We put on the mask, right? And if ever a genuine person does come up to us, in all sincerity, and asks how we are, We so quickly just want to say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, don't worry about me, I'm good. Friends, share your burdens with one another. This is what we, the people of God, are supposed to be doing. Share your burdens with one another, share them with me. But above all, share them with the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. One thing I love about our Sunday morning liturgy, and and I'm quite biased uh, as an Anglican priest, but I really love our liturgy because we have several times in the liturgy in which we are encouraged to do this. Liturgy actually means, that word means, work of the people. And that's why we gather here today. We're not gathered here to, to um, give each other holy high fives and to, to be entertained and things like that. No, this is a place where we are working. The people of God gathered are working. We're doing spiritual work here. During the prayers of the people, we gather the needs of our communities and we lift them up to the Lord. We gather the needs of ourselves personally and we lift those up. And then if you have something that's on your heart that you don't want to say out loud, that's fine. We have prayer ministers available after communion who would love to pray with you about the struggles and the burdens that you carry, the concerns that are on your hearts. This is a place where you are invited to participate in the work of God, really speaking that. So plead to Jesus. He is here and he is listening. So, what does Jesus do in this situation? What does he do when he hears these pleas? Well, he answers them. He heals them, actually. Not on the spot, not immediately. This is, this is kind of a unique healing. Instead, he tells them to go. He says, Go to the priests, go to your local priests. And I love that line from the story as they went, they were healed. As they went, they were healed. Do you remember that story in the Old Testament of, of Naaman, the Syrian commander? He commanded this massive army. Well, he himself contracted leprosy. And so he hears that there's this prophet, Elisha, over in, in Israel. And he goes and he, and he visits Elisha, the prophet. And Elisha, it's kind of a long, complicated story, but Elisha basically tells him to go and wash, go and wash in the Jordan River. And I love what the text says. As he's coming out of the water, his skin was restored like the skin of a baby. Imagine the happiness of these ten people, these ten lepers, who as they're walking along, they look at each other and they're like, oh my goodness, it's leaving our skin. Look how you look, like you've got the skin of a baby. You know, Perhaps for the first time, they're truly seeing each other in the way in which God intended for them to look for the first time. Now the story could end here this would still be a really great place to end the story. It could be done here, and there could be lessons that we could glean from this. We could ask ourselves, why does Jesus tell them to go to the religious leaders? What does it mean that they're obeying the law to go and visit a priest and declared clean? We could talk about the intertwining of obedience and belief or faith and works. We could speculate about the impact that these individuals had as they returned back to their families, to their communities, the parties they threw, the testimonies of God's power they shared, the proclamation of how magnificent Jesus, this teacher, is. But that's not where our story ends. It takes an unusual turn. Quite literally, it takes an unusual turn. One of the men turns around. He's walking. He sees that he's healed. He sees that his friends are healed. And he decides to postpone his restoration, which for, for someone who, who attends a church called restoration, that's, that's kind of anathema. Why would you want to postpone your, your restoration? But he does that. He postpones his trips to the priests, and he postpones the parties. He postpones his declaration of cleanliness. He postpones his restoration into society. He turns back and returns to Jesus, praising God with a loud voice. Before, he was allowed to keep people away. Now, he's allowed to draw near to Jesus. And this is where things get really interesting. Do you think Jesus was surprised to see this man come back? I think he was. I think as you read this text, Jesus is a little, like, rustled by this. Only one of you comes back? And to make matters even more interesting, he was a foreigner, Of all people, this foreigner, this Samaritan, this man with compromised theology, this one from this unclean culture, he's the one who comes back. And Jesus is a little surprised by this. Only one of you comes back, and you're a foreigner. And so this man, if you think about it, he has two strikes against him. Not only does this man know or have all the indignity and the pain of living with leprosy, he is also an outcast simply on account of his ethnicity. The blood in his veins as well as the disease on his flesh cause him to be twice rejected, twice unclean. So I wonder, maybe, maybe this is the reason why he's the only one who turns back. You know, the others who were there presumably are Jews. They were going back to their right lives. They were going back to being culturally right. They were going back to being morally right. Right. The universe was aligning for them in this moment. This man, however, he's doubly surprised today. Because not only is he healed from a disease, but he's healed by Jesus. This Jewish teacher, a member of the Jewish community, extends a blessing to him. And so this man is filled with joy for the double grace that he has received. The one who had received the most rejection, the most pain, now loudly expresses the most gratitude. So I used to work at the Apple Store uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, and one of my, I had a coworker who was blind. He was actually not born with eyeballs. There was no chance of him seeing. And whenever the Apple Store was kind of well one day, when the Apple Store was really slow, we both kind of leaned up against the counter and we just started to chat. His name was Seth, and Seth loved to chat about heaven, as you can imagine. And I remember one day he said to me, Rick, you know, when you get to heaven, you're going to see all sorts of new colors. Isn't that cool? And I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, I, I get that. That's cool. Yeah, sure, that's, that's neat. And he's like, well, guess what? He's like, I have no idea what blue is. He's like, I don't even know what red is. I don't even know what green is. When I get to heaven, every color is going to be new, is what he said. He was twice excited for the new creation. He was so excited. What faith, right? What gratitude he has. You see, friends, sometimes it's the lepers, it's the outcasts, it's the blind in our life who truly see Jesus. Rise. Your faith has made you well, Jesus says. So two questions for us before we conclude. First, who are the outcasts in your life? They might not come immediately to mind, but I'm sure if you spend a moment or two thinking about it, people will come. People will come to mind. Who are the people in your life who are cut off from the world? Maybe it's a relative who really messed up and they're not welcome at family gatherings anymore. Maybe it's a coworker who's just kind of gross, you know, and you don't want to be around this person. They're culturally weird. Maybe there's someone in your life who you know has been chewed up and spat out by society. Does this person know that Jesus walks the borderlands? In fact, friends, this is exactly why Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. You see, Jesus himself confronted the religious leaders He's betrayed by a friend. He's condemned as a criminal, taken outside the city gates and considered cursed by the law, and he dies upon a cross. But there is power in his blood. For he rose again. He broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan underneath his feet. And now the outcasts in our lives need to hear this. Don't you think? The outcasts in our lives need to know that Jesus, the outcast of all outcasts, has come down and redeemed their souls. But you know what? We need to hear this too. We need to hear this too. Because we all have a leper within us. We all have that outcast within us, right? So friends, what part of you is the most cut off from the world? What's that part of you that you are most ashamed of, that you try to hide, that you try to cast aside, that you try to push down? Maybe it's an addiction that nobody knows about. Maybe you, like the Samaritan, it's your ethnic identity. You feel ostracized and maybe out of sync with the world around you. Maybe through no fault of your own, you yourself have been taken advantage of and victimized. And while, yes, you might be surrounded by friends, on the inside, you describe yourself with one word, unclean. Friends, that's the part of you that is most eager to know the Lord Jesus Christ, That's the part of you that needs to know Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ walks the borderlands of our own souls. Jesus has no problem going to those forgotten places with gifts of healing and gifts of wholeness. He walks between the clean and the unclean. He stops and listens to the deep, loud cries of mercy that we all carry within us. And by the power of his resurrection, he washes you clean. He makes us well. He puts praise on our lips, and he invites us to walk with dignity in his presence. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we confess to you our our filth, our sin, our struggles, our uncleanliness, Lord. We put all of that down at your feet. Lord, wash us clean. We praise you for the power of your resurrection, that you did not leave us alone in our filth, but you stooped down to come to us and you pick us up, Lord Jesus. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.